Welcome to Phone Messages, episode 131. I like that. My name is Paul Mason Foch. This week, I play message number six from Joel Waller. The message is 18 seconds long and comes from the fall of 1989. Here we go. Wow. Oh, I like that. That's neat. Say, Paul. Um, this is uh, Joel, and I haven't said much in a while. You know, also, you know I was wondering if you'd cat strider saying that. Uh, well, yeah, I don't know. It's really hard to make any sense out of that. And I mean, the only thing I noticed is I have a little more of a Wisconsin accent uh, than I realized, I suppose. But uh, What would you describe as a Wisconsin accent? Well, there was that one moment there where I thought I heard a little bit of that uh, funny nasal accent. People occasionally make fun of my accent, and I can sometimes hear it. Where did you grow up in Wisconsin? Generally the Milwaukee area. Are there particular words that you say or... I think it's some of the vowels, like bag. That A sound, I think, would be one that people would pick up. And then it's it's also vocabulary, like bubbler. We would say bubbler and have to learn to say water fountain so people know what we're talking about if we're thirsty. When you moved to Columbus, was it your first time visiting the city? Oh, yeah, sure. No, I guess so. What struck you about the city? What were your first impressions of Columbus? I think I was a kind of a Chicago snob. So compared to Chicago, it seemed like a gigantic, sprawled-out suburban environment. Not a very large Midwestern city without the jazz and blues clubs and the things that I thought of as exciting things to do in a city. Uh, it, it took me a little while to appreciate Columbus. The part I liked was called the Short North Victorian Village, which was pretty grungy then, but um, now it's become kind of an artsy neighborhood. But I think it was already starting to get a few galleries. And it, there was this awesome bar that had, like, no name. <laughs> there was no sign. And they had a country jukebox. And they had this guy, I swear he was a spitting image of Willie Nelson. And if you put in a quarter and picked a song he liked, he'd give you a thumbs up. He, you know, he had the ponytail and everything. And, uh, and once in a while, fights would break out. You'd have to watch it. Somebody might go flying across your table. <laughs> there were booths, which uh, I remember during the bar fight, <laughs> the, the booths sort of felt like protection. Did they have a li- any live music there? Or? Um, I don't know. I think they did sometimes in that area. Uh, they would have a, like a gallery crawl type thing. After, uh, like By the time I moved out of there, at least, I was aware that they were having like one night a month in the summer, they'd have a gallery crawl, and I think they would have live bands. And, um, you know, I came to appreciate the live music scene after a while, because I was there, you know, so I get there, and I'm looking for jazz and blues, and that's not what they had anymore. But they did have some cool kind of um, bluegrass and, uh, like, kind of cowpunk kind of music that I came to uh, really like. There was one band that broke up Great Plains, um, but all the musicians were still in town having their own bands. You know, uh, there was a band called One Riot, One Ranger. They had a kind of a rock bluegrass kind of thing going, and they were they were awesome. And uh, I did meet some people, students, who were from the area. So that also helped me appreciate it better when I, you know what I mean, realize that, you know, like if you're looking for music, check out the bluegrass. You're not going to find screechy jazz here. 
Columbus was made Ohio's capital city in 1813, and its first cemetery was located just north of downtown. But the graveyard's location proved inconvenient as the city expanded. So, in the 1870s, city officials decided to move the graves to the newly created Greenlawn Cemetery on the southwestern edge of the city. Unfortunately, not all the bodies were moved, as was revealed when new construction took place in the early 2000s and the bones of early residents were discovered. In the 20th century, North Columbus saw a different type of removal when, after World War II, federally funded highway construction and urban renewal displaced residents from what was called Flytown. The freeway provided access to the Central Business District for middle-class whites who moved to FHA-subsidized suburbs which, of course, excluded African Americans. This created the familiar wealth gap that characterizes U.S. urban landscapes. As property values declined in the city, the so-called short north became a derisive term used by police and suburbanites for the derelict district just short of the Ohio State campus and north of downtown. But in another familiar pattern, low rents attracted artists and gay folks to the neighborhood in the 1980s, and with the help of a monthly gallery hop that began in 1984, the short north has become a tourist attraction for hipsters. Joel's Bar with no name is actually called Mike's Grill although it has not served food for years. The bar opened back in 1939, and in the 1980s, when Joel visited, it still had a reputation for ruckus with frequent fights. One time, a bartender even had his finger bitten off. The joint has mellowed significantly with the art crowd invasion, but the jukebox remains although I'm not sure about Willie Nelson. If you want to share your favorite dive bar, please contact me through my website, pfoach.com. If you enjoy my weekly dives into history, this is the final week of my annual fundraiser, and donating is very easy. Just find my username, pfoach, that's p F like in Frank, O-T-S-C-H, at either Cash App or Venmo, and chip in what you can. Thank you so much for your contributions, and many thanks to Joel for his contributions. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.